Hey everybody, this is Blake with Marvel.com, and I have the huge, huge pleasure of sitting next to Ryan Adams. Ryan Adams. Yeah, I am... If you weren't already a nerd enough because you collect comics, you're listening to podcasts. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you here. I've been a fan of yours for years, and I'm trying to keep it cool. Um, you're doing a very good job. I appreciate it. I've seen you nine times. Oh, wow. Um, that's my, I'll, I'll quit nerding out now. You're a big comic books fan. I love comic books. How do you read? You, do you read single issues? Do you read trades? How do you how do you keep up? It depends on the comic. Uh, I have, I have like different kinds of comic books that I'm interested in, like and somewhat from different eras. Um, if it's a work related thing, it's probably like an old school uh, war comic, mm-hmm. like Army at War, things like that, GI Combat. Um, you know. Uh, for Marvel fans, the Nom is super big. Deal oh well, wow. was and is a super big deal to me. Uh, in fact, I actually gifted the guitar player in my band, Mike Viola, the Nom recently. But the the weird first trade, uh, first four issues that like before graphic novels really became a big thing, and they would actually put like four issues in one thing. Mm-hmm. The Nom did one of those early on that has one of the great sketches as the cover. I, I'd never seen it before, and I found it at St. Mark's Comic. I, I heard you're a, f- a big fan of Spider-Woman. That's a, kind of a strange... I don't get that o- often. Why, why do you like Spider-Woman so much? Um, well, specifically, I think... I think for me, uh, because I w- was raised uh, in a very small town in North Carolina, uh, and I was starting to read comics in the... Ver- you know, as early as the very late 70s, early 80s, but definitely by 82, 83 subscription. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a, I had the subscription. I had the subscription where you get the subscription and you get to pick the extra ones that you want. I got to take risks, you know. Um, you remember this, you pay like a certain amount of money and you get six months for 12 bucks or whatever it was, whatever unbelievably great deal it was, and you get to pick like four other titles. And uh, so for me, I... Um, when I was buying comics, I was usually buying them from the 25 cent aisle or at the uh, Reader's Corner, this janky place uh, in my hometown. And so I ended up following stuff that people m- w- might not normally follow. Mm-hmm. Like Power Man and Iron Fist was like one of my first loves. The Defenders, big time. Um, you know, I wasn't buying new issues off the rack at the local comic, mainly because the these guys at the local comic store in my hometown, I don't even know how long that place was open, but only long enough, you know, for them to basically terrorize me and any other kid that wanted to go in the store. They were, they were the, like when you central cast a 1980s overweight <laughs> small town comic book store owner, like this goes deep into cliche area, like, like deep, deep. The one that you're not even, you shouldn't even be in here. You don't yeah, know. Yeah, like the Grateful Dead shirt with like the belly sticking out at the bottom and mustard stains and like just screaming at kids and mm-hmm. you're not buying anything and that. So I ended up going for, uh, to this different place for my comics, which made me get into weirder titles. But recently, uh, Spider Woman, the reason I got into it was the people, uh, so Meltdown on Sunset uh, Boulevard in Los Angeles now is my comic book store. Mm-hmm. And they know what I like. And uh, it was suggested to me by my friend Holly Interlandy, who runs that place, or is one of the people that runs that place, and also works at Famous Monsters, editor at Famous Monsters. And um, the art seemed a little more primal. And um, also, um, 
I've really felt like I liked I liked the fact that Spider Woman, who's not heard from very much and who's sort of a chaotic character, was sort of being set loose. And I, I, as soon as I saw the art, as soon as I saw the writing, it seemed really intimate. The artists seemed definitely uh, didn't seem like they had been used to making comic books very long. In fact, they I think they even mentioned there was a live model. They used a live model oh, for wow. a lot of the work, but it was but it felt primal to me and as far away from computer coloring or computer stuff as possible. It was very hand done and uh, I, I I just I have an affinity for that. As I did the Electra from the same time. Yeah, you mentioned that earlier. Yeah. Because that truly did look very primal. Mm-hmm. It looked as primal as the Sinkevit stuff. Uh, or even the weird Miller stuff uh, when uh, they were, you know, when the idea of, or, or maybe like New Mutants for Marvel fans, like when some of the actual drawings were getting so crazy in the mid 80s to late 80s where they were letting stuff get out of proportion and a little abstract. I, I really like that. Are you aware that you're probably the coolest comic book fan I've ever met? I don't know if I'm like, that you cool. Know that, I, mean, I see your Twitter pe- feed and you always post that you're reading comics or whatever. And it's just drawing like, comics. It's just drawing as well, yeah. yeah. But do you, so you're, you're, you play it better than I play being a comic book fan. Like you're, You give us hope that we can be cool and comic book fans. Is that... Yeah, I don't know if I'm like the, but I really shouldn't. If I'm a marker for you guys, like the, <laughs> you're so. F- <laughs> no, um, I, I wanted to, since you said you draw comics. When did you start doing that? Have you been doing it since you were a kid, or you just? I have, and and recently I like wanted to actually use more of my time on tour, doing something creative, and I had started this idea of making my own comic books, um, and then putting records in them. Oh, awesome. And uh, this is the first time anybody's hearing about this, but it's a perfect place to talk about it. So I'm going to draw my own comic books, and then some of these guys uh, that I'm in a band with, Daniel Clark, Mike Viola, and myself, my friend Charlie Stavish, like, we sort of have a, rec- a mobile recording unit on the bus, and it's as the, the comics are starting to get halfway to three-quarters of the way done, they're starting to get finished, and uh, so I'm going to make soundtracks for them with these oh, guys, or, or I'll... Or I'll actually go to Daniel or somebody will have a feeling and they'll go, hey, can I do this one? I'll be like, absolutely. Can I add some vocals later? Or maybe not even. Maybe Daniel will do the whole thing. But I like the idea that I'll make a comic and there'll be exclusive music for it the way that like a soundtrack for a film is. And some of them are funnier than others and some are better than others. And some mm-hmm. of the, I'm just letting all the ideas out. But I noticed when I started playing in a band again that there's the excitement of the stage, which carries with me for two hours after the concert, maybe three, and starts an hour before, maybe sometimes the whole day. And all that energy, I started to get r- sad that I was just going to buy comics and read them or, or books and only being able to take certain pieces of the information with me. Because really, on the road, there's so much energy, energy that goes into one performance that you don't have a large window to consume information on that day. Mm-hmm. But strangely, your day of rest, you could, I have found, you'll see people like on the tour that reading a book and they'll like read that book that day almost. Like there's just a, there's just a sort of, there's just a reservoir and, and it fills and empties and that's the way that it worked. So in my uh, weird brain, I was able to figure out while I was off the road that if I drew comics, 
it actually would soothe all that other stuff because it doesn't draw from the same exact place. But what's cool is it's kindred. So I don't have to be bothered with the show or wearing my voice out or playing music all day or whatever. It's like a thing that's right alongside it and I'd been dying to do it. And I just weirdly sat down and did it this one day and I don't think I really stopped since I started. That's amazing. Yeah, it just keeps, it's like now I have like this book that's like a fake book that you open it and inside it's all my micro pens and oh, all my stuff and I have a ruler but I'm not interested that everything's in scale and uh, uh, I sketch it and then I ink it myself but I've got to find some place that can color it with those dots those colored dots that you so you're looking for somebody right now yeah, well, I want it to be colored like an 80s mm. comic book where you could tell, like, it was going through a press and you could see the small dots, like, they'd make that, they made that arrangement somehow. And I don't know how to do that. Well, maybe when you come by and meet some of the editors, maybe they know somebody that, that does something like that. Maybe. I mean, I'm certain that the process now is probably colorized through a computer right. in some weird way, but there was some process that happened before all that where you know, it was colored and then it's matched that way. I, I mm. think that's the way to, e either that or I'll keep keep them black and white. They look good from what I've seen. Yeah, I know you call them your crappy comics, but we, me and the, our Spider-Man editor, we're looking at it and we're like, these are good. This yeah, it's awesome. getting good now. Soon I'll uh, remove crappy from it. <laughs> no, I, I'm going to get better and then I'm going to get great and then I'm going to get amazing. <laughs> that's awesome. That's the way it's going to go because I have like all these really great ideas about how I want to do it and there's I can break every rule I want and I like the idea that when I'm painting or drawing them and coming up with the idea that I can go from a frame that's so completely, like it's off, it's a little pop, pop art or something. Like there's just, maybe I decided those outlines are too cool. Mm -hmm. I'm going to mess with it. And then the next one I can completely flesh it out and make it look, you know, more like Kirby style, you know? It's funny you mention that too because uh, Wayne Cohn from The Flaming Lips just started doing his own comic. And he says for him it's a way where he just gets to do whatever he wants. Nobody, no no record label to answer to. He just gets to do the craziest stuff. You, so you feel that way as well? You just get... Yeah. I've always thing. felt like the, I didn't want to deal with a record label. But, <laughs> but with the comics, though. Is it like yeah, no, it, it, it really... Actually, um, I'm quite bummed when I'm done. I think hours pass when I do it. I don't know, because I've. it's led me to make playlists for myself and other people mm -hmm. so that I could listen to playlists while I do it on headphones and it's just a different way to roll down the road for me because I'm a compulsive musician like I, uh, like I want to play music all the time and write music all the time and, and I will and uh, in fact I know today I'm going to write like I know it like in this weird way like you know it's going to rain because your knee aches like I just know the days like it's in, now it's inevitable so this is a cool thing to have to let that energy build back up again and I can feel it building. It's like I could feel the bars going all the way green inside me to do the, this other thing and then, then I look back at what I've been doing and it, it's just cool. Like I can't even remember making some of the decisions in the frames that I made but I, but I like the uh, I love the idea that the whole story and, and what's happening in it could literally sort of be a surprise to me even just because I decided to make an artistic consideration and then sort of add in the that's stuff awesome. later. Yeah, that's a different. I know, like, when you have a bullpen, you know, you have a story and then it goes to the editor and then there's like a guy that's going to pencil it and then there's a guy that's going to ink it and there's a guy that's going to color it. It goes through a lot of processes, you know. Mm. And that's really cool how 
democratic or diplomatic that process is. But, you know, some of my favorite comics were fringe comics. Like, one of my favorite titles was a title making fun of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles when it first came out called Adolescent Radioactive Black Belt Hamsters. <laughs> and Don Chen from that comic actually has since reached out to me um, in the real world. Uh, he couldn't believe I, I read it, but it was so smartass and so great. And I just love that there's these hamsters and that they, they sort of made fun of the Dark Knight Returns cover by having this hamster and like a bolt of <laughs> lightning. Awesome. And it says, like, Clint Returns. And, like, and uh, the, you could tell that, like, the... Like the writing itself was really primal, and all the inking was primal, and they would use almost every bit of space with lines, and the density. I really loved it. I really got off on that. And I think for a big company like um, Marvel, the deep deeper fans maybe this is this way for me. It's when you see the risks mm-hmm. happening, when you see the story and even some of the art getting a little carried away or. A little unfussed with. I think that's the stuff that really. Have you seen the new Hawkeye comic that's out? It's like I, I compare it to. It's like an indie comic in the illustrations, but mm-hmm. there, it's that's kind of what you were mentioning. Yeah, you? Uh, I have disassociated myself somewhat from Marvel, but like in terms of buying Marvel titles, but only because I felt like at some point when I wanted to go back and understand what was happening, there was so much madness with Shield. Uh, the like the split worlds thing really bothers me, and and I can't get I can't wrap my head around it. Um, and then like the worlds opening, and then the secret wars. That's one thing. But then it went into the uh, what was the thing after the secret wars? There was like the big upheaval. Um, uh, twenty four or something. Um, I can't remember, but it was basically like all the characters of all the worlds were dealing with each other. I I, I don't remember. Who, what it was, but it was one of those times where it felt like the different Marvel worlds were meeting again, and like, uh, but I own like you know I own the first forty Fantastic Four, <laughs> really, the, yeah, and I own all X Men, and and um I have uh like uh all the Defenders and all GI Joe and all the uh, I, I I mean I have all those runs of, of everything. I have a, a lot of really early Spider Man. 11 forward um, and uh, Iron Man and Strange Tales like I, I'm a deep collector and, and I'll go back and read those now mm-hmm. like I'll read X-Men 1 and I'll just go I'm going to go down to 15 and it's really cool how clean those ideas are like and also there's a simplicity to the drawing that's kind of hilarious because it's like you could, be, you could be reading Patsy Walker or something and um who you know is going to become Hellcat later or whatever? For, uh, but like, uh, but the way that it looks to see Professor X looking almost like it could be in like you know like a you know like a Archie comic or something like the, like the, the thin line between the way that they're drawn then and then the seriousness of it. It's so cool. I want to mention too, since you brought up the old Fantastic Four, um, there is a rumor. I don't know if it's true or not, but. Stanley's first assistant was based after uh, Invisible Woman. Flo Steinberg, have you heard of her? No. She's, they called her Fabulous Flo. They, there's talk that she was Invisible Woman. She still works here. She hasn't left Marvel since working with Stan. Wow. For like 30 years, maybe. Yeah. But anyways, um, I wanted to mention, too, um, so you, 
you were a fan as a kid, did you ever take a break from comics and get back into it, or you just kept kept going? My collection is pretty deep. I've never gotten rid of them. Um, and, uh, you know, whatever I was reading or had when I lived in my hometown, I don't know where that stuff is, but that wasn't any deep stuff. That was all 80 stuff. But as soon as I could, in fact, when I lived in New York, like I started rebuying the runs that I wanted to read. Mm-hmm. You know, I like started in like, you know, when Sink Kevitt started doing the uh, New Mutants covers, like that's totally where I stepped into things and all the Defenders, specifically late Defenders. I love the new Defenders. I don't know what happened with that. Like, um, I kind of started there and then I remember one day going, you know what, I- I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to go, I'm going to buy the first 40 Avengers, the first 40 X-Men, and the first 40 Fantastic Four. And it led me to just going, just doing it. I just was like, I don't care, I'm just going to do it. And like, and uh, readers' copies, but some of them very good condition. I mean, uh, obviously, as you know, that some of these are 800 to $1,000 an issue. Or right. But I don't care. I just was like, I'm just going to sit around and read it that day, and if my cat tears it up, it's how it happens. And it, and it was the best thing I could have done because it, it really took me back. I got to see that evolutionary process. Um, but, you know, uh, I think drawing comics and sort of reading more vintage stuff on the road, um, it sort of stands in the way of me going to the comic stand and knowing really what's happening there. And, you know, I gotta, we got to give you a tour. I want to ask, though, let's talk No, about we're going to talk more about comics All in right. a second. I will. <laughs> I'm up for it. This is what I have to say, because I thought about not coming here and sounding like an old person. <laughs> but you know what, though? I'm not an old person. I'm like an idealist. And, like, we're forever young. We, like, my dreams cannot be tainted by this this world, you know, and, like, in, in its monetary system of dreams, you know, and that crusher that rolls over them all. But this is what I want to say. And it's, it's not going to go, Stanley's not going to listen to this. No Maybe. one here is going to listen to this, and they're not going to care what I'm saying. But I'm going to say it anyway. There's a lot of kids out there that read Marvel comics. And they're looking at these comics. And every time somebody makes a decision to take it away from a penciler and an inker and a colorist, and you put it into a computer, you're teaching a kid that he, he's not good enough. And those comics that look wild that I loved, mm-hmm. that's because when I was a kid, and I could really look at these comics. Like, I could look at these weird Moon Knight issues where I saw some of the perfection, but I definitely saw the places where, like, I knew those body contours weren't necessarily right or it felt a little more savage to me. It told me, I can do this. Now, I never, you know, I drew my comics to submit to Marvel and you're not supposed to submit them to Marvel, but I mailed them in. Really? Everybody did, didn't they? I mean, I know they, you're supposed to return them or whatever. I don't even know if mine ever even came back, but like, I would draw my fake Spider-Man cover and, and all of my stuff, and you send it in, and you go, I know I'm, you're never gonna see this, but I think I should draw for you. And, and the reason is, is because I was looking at these guys, and you don't see who's in the bullpen, you just read about it. And, it, and I loved that, that it made me feel so connected the way that Stan would kind of jump into the editorial part and you guys would sort of rib each other and there was this beautiful thing. But uh, it doesn't mean that you're not going to stop using computers and it doesn't mean that computers are bad because we're talking into a computer right now and you're listening to it on a computer. But there's this human element that's getting erased and it's some of it 
with music more than people realize more and more. And, and I think with comics too. And what I think is interesting is no one has seen, no one has been able to actually look at the increase in your digital use of your world and look at the decrease in the sales of art, hmm. not only of music, but of comic books, of film, of, you know, um, of, of regular modern art. I mean, it, it, it's all, it's all moving further and further away from popular culture and people aren't questing for it as much. And I am really surprised that no one has been able to actually uh, or people have not looked at it in a much larger scale and went, wasn't well, that interesting at the same time that the human element is being erased so much in all these formats right. that people going to them also. And that's because on a subliminal level, on a level that goes beyond the part of Ryan that knows my name is Ryan and I've had my experiences on a much deeper spiritual level, I know what's human and I know what's not human. Mm -hmm. And I know that if I wrote you a letter that you would get that said what I just said and inside of it I signed my name and I put a picture I know that that would affect you more than me saying it on a podcast I, I know that when you increase the human element it increases the response Right. so my thing is, is not that anyone's going to care or say anything is, is you know some of the most beautiful works of art that I've ever seen in my life were the, and I'm talking about them again but the Bill Sienkiewicz New Mutants covers where he airbrushed he did it for Dazzler. Um, he did a couple of uh, New Defenders covers. The, the most epic, most beautifully airbrushed and watercolored work that you've ever that you've ever seen. This guy changed the game. In fact, that New Mutants cover where there's the where they're in uh, like a weird future Chinatown and and she's the I can't remember the character in it, but she's like a mob boss, this o overweight lady, and she's got all the New Mutants like marionettes oh, on the yeah. strings. That's one of the most beautiful images in my entire life. In fact, I tried to get him to make an album cover for me that was somewhat like that, but he, believe it or not, now uses computers. Wow. And he's like, "Those that was a different day. And I was like, that's a shame, because that, to me, that work of art. Like, I bought one of his pieces of art. I bought The Wedding of Spider-Man. I bought that for my wife on our first anniversary. I that's bought amazing. that. I bought that. that, that. It, it's a... It's a I think it's the original. It's like it's if if not, it's a it's a first edition print because it's signed by him. And there's just something to that. So that's what I wanted to say. It's like in this world, there's so much digitization and confusion. You know, there's nothing wrong with keeping it simple and letting a few archaic things through the door. Did you talk to Bill about that? Did you kind of tell him your feelings on on that the process going to digital? Um. Well, for those who have never met Bill Sienkiewicz, like you don't tell him much. <laughs> He's an intensity that I've not that I've not seen ever in any other place except for in interviews uh, with Steve Albini. <laughs> he is like dedicated, and the stuff that I did get back from him, we did the commission and we did try to make it work. There wasn't enough time for him. It was actually beautiful and very recognizable at his stuff. But he does use a, wa a Wacom pad, which uh, for podcast people out there if you're listening to a marvel podcast you probably know this but if you don't know it, it's basically a pen that's bluetooth digital and you draw on a little plastic pad like a mouse pad mm -hmm. and it feeds it into your computer basically um, the worst possible idea <laughs> and uh i mean you know uh 
my feeling is is like if you spill your bong, it's gonna yes, you might lose a page, but if you spill your bong on your Wacom pad and the computer, you lose the whole comic. So like, Those what's worse? Too, yeah. <laughs> what's worse? You know? No, but that's the only thing I had to say. I, I, I like the I like the more French stuff. I like the stuff that's that's more um, that's more human. But uh, but I also should say this too that some of my first crushes were fictional characters in comic books <laughs> and Marvel, and they shall rent. Remain nameless, but <laughs> besides the fact that we are in the storm room, which is definitely a very heavy She's one. Looking at you. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wanted. To, do you ever do cons at all? Do you ever go to? I know you do, you do pinball cons, but do you ever do like comic conventions? No, I've never gone. And by the time I had the opportunity to go, it seems like that the comic con stuff is really. It doesn't seem to be dominated by comics as much. Yeah, anymore. that's true. I, I haven't been to know the changeover. I hear if you go to the ones that are in the smaller towns, you could really um, crawl through a lot of back issues, but I have access to back issues that I want. Right. I'm pleasantly su surprised once in a while by something that I hadn't previously read, but I kind of know the stuff that I love and the stuff I'm looking for, and I sort of know all my sort of side roads now, too. So if I went to something like that, I would probably just amass more even more crazy stuff because I'm I'm a collector, comic collector, and like I collect all things Alien and RoboCop, <laughs> um, and uh, you know Ghostbusters related and all that stuff. I have like every Kenner thing ever made. You know, it's totally my thing. So when when I have uh, musicians or actors by, I always give people stacks of comics. With you, it's tough because I noticed you were into '80s. So I have '80s trades for you, a big stack. Would you take them, or you're not a trade person? Are you more of a single issue guy, or what? Um, what do you mean trade? Like like the like graphic novels of oh no stories. I, I I actually um, uh, no I mean if it's something I've been meaning to read or want to read like absolutely and there's stuff oh, I've okay. been looking for that I, I haven't been able to find so I'm excited cool. about that Sweet. plus Mike I think I reinstigated his love of comics since we started <laughs> playing music together because yeah. what I would leave them around enough to the point where I noticed he started picking them up. And then one day he, we had a conversation. I was cutting a song, and he was like, "He was like, wow, like you just tapped right into that um, that vocal, like you because like we were working on songs. Mike and I write songs, and he produces some of my records, and I'll produce some of his. And we're always working on stuff together, whether it's real or imagined. We're working on a thing for something. And one day I think he noticed I was writing out these ideas really quickly, and he went. I saw him kind of coming into the live room at my own studio because my band and I, we have our own studio, own private studio. And he noticed on the music stand was a couple of comics. <laughs> and my thing is, when stuck for a moment, I could just flip to a page uh, well. and read a couple of frames. And this human interaction would happen. It's not about like ripping off someone's words or anything. It's just like this one moment of interaction or strife or overcoming something or there's always a, a charged moment in comics. It's, it's really is like a, it's the pulp of, 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 you know, it's not like a, it's not like you're watching a, you know, a kitchen sink English drama or something. Even the frames are supercharged with events and within a single page, a world can turn. So you, you could turn to a comic book page and there's an example. There's something you were looking for. And I almost always pull directly from them. In fact, sometimes, like in a shocking uh, amount, 
like emotional songs of mine have been totally torn from the pages of of, of comics. That's crazy. Anything on the new album? Uh, definitely <laughs> stuff on the new record. In yeah. fact, they were always lying around. In the new record, it was um, a lot of uh, older war comics. Um, there was some. Uh, very early Patsy Walker stuff, but only just because that was easy to leave around. And then, um, and then some like uh, like Savage Tales, things like that. Like some more serious stuff was making its way through. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, absolutely. I, in fact, I don't. There's pictures of me making the record, and there's comics. On the music stand in the, in the inside of the art, like you see it. They're just they're everywhere at my studio. Like they're in the control room. They're in the bathroom. There's a stack. They're in my office. There's a, their own place. They'll be in the live room, kind of randomly laying around. They're just there. It's like they're sort of they they populate the area, and it, you you'd be surprised. It's interesting. Ben Mont from Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers was playing on it, and I caught him, like, I didn't even get in the room to say hey, and he was already deep into a comic when I got there, because he's, like, a serious reader, too. <laughs> really? Yeah, just letting you know, the Tom Petty guys, there's a couple of comic guys, but but Mike picked it up, and since he's picked it up, mm-hmm. it, it's funny, it's it's changed him a little bit. That's amazing. I gotta mention, uh, we're going long on the interview, but I like this, this is great, but I, I have to mention the new album, it's freaking amazing. Thank you. Uh, it took three years. I don't I don't want to ask you the questions that you've been asking a million times about the record. What? Tell Marvel fans... Your record's out, you have a seven inch, a couple seven inches out. Well, so much like comic books, uh, my record label um, is my own, and then I have major record labels that distribute the LPs, the regular 10, 11 song, here's the record for that year that sort of lets people know the general idea of what I'm doing as a recording artist. But then, because I make so much music, and I make it because I love making it, and it's all I want to do, so... Because I do that, and because I have fans that will buy it, I make a seven inch every month that only comes out that month, and we don't make it again, like a comic. And um, and it's, I sort of took me a while to really push this idea past my management and other people. I'm like, it's worth the effort, because it does take quite a lot of effort to do. And your, your overhead is small, unless you do it on a consistent level. and because I have my own studio and because for the last three years all we've done is made music and tame the room I said let's just do it and we did it and it did the very thing I thought it would which is it actually now inspires music to go on it like like I like to put three songs a seven inch and I like the fact that there's people that are going to buy it they're going to really listen to it on their record player there'll be a few people that want it just as a fan mm-hmm. and then the record stores get it so they have something to sell and it's exclusive to who I am and what I do and it's not something that you can get on your computer. You can go get it on iTunes, and you could appreciate it that way. And certainly, that means you could also, you know, rip it off or or just stream it nowadays if that's what people do. But but there's something cool about it when you get it on vinyl. You get it mastered specifically for that for that piece of vinyl, and we make the art like direct the art ourselves, and like it's all conceptual. And uh, it and sometimes the songs themselves are bad. They're bad crazy like we'll just choose a weird third or fourth song like recently i did a song called clown asylum and it was um for on the halloween single is the fourth song and it was um a comic inspired song uh by of course competition it's basically kind of from the perspective of the joker Mm. um in arkham asylum and uh um sort of his madness you know uh this idea of if 
but but a, a Joker that was more like a, in my mind, like that would have had exposure to like theater and stuff, like a softer, <laughs> m more senile senior citizen Joker. <laughs> That's the way that I sort of That's saw awesome. him. And Arkham Asylum not being uh, this heavy, as heavy prisony the way that it had been seen before. This is more like they would go for walks in the yard and. So I gave life to this moment, and it's, it was truly absurd. And what's great is there it is. It's on vinyl. It's that one time, and somebody can uh, can get into it. But that's that's my contribution. It's like I have all this music to give, and I know that it's good. And actually, in a world where less and less things are um, are made for the specific purpose that they that they have been manufactured for I, it feels good to sort of say i want to participate in this like i know that seven inches aren't going to change the world anymore uh for a lot of people but it that makes me want to make them even more i love how some of the songs can be a minute long you get a lot you know unconventional some of the best songs that were ever written were a minute long yeah definitely certainly a lot of who's could songs barely get there <laughs> And uh, you know you've got a, like uh, plenty of great punk rock records where the songs are at 30 seconds to 40 seconds long. I mean, it didn't take Minor Threat a whole lot of time to get through their first EP, you know. Um, but why why shouldn't pop songs do that? That's I, true. I like that idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, let's give you a tour. I got to say once cool. again, David Ryan Adams. The album is out now. It's glorious. Uh, thanks again for joining us. This was awesome. Thank you for having me. This is Marvel, your universe.